What is up, Asymmetry? How y'all doing? First things first, I'm going to be at Rebs this coming weekend, the 26th and 27th of August, Santa Rosa, California. Get your mind right and come and do bonsai with us. It should be a really good event. I'm excited to be back in Northern California, one of my original study groups, people that I love and cherish uh, in the Bonsai Mirai community. Uh, will be there. So it should be very uh, exciting. I urge you all to attend and I'll look forward to uh, catching up with everybody. Today we got a good podcast for you. I've really been waiting for this for a long time. It's taken some time to to uh, find a common point where both of us could get together, but we sat down with the former curator of the National Bonsai Collection in Washington, D.C., Jack Sustick. Uh, an individual who is etched in the history books of North American bonsai and whose tenure as the head of the National Collection was one of the more pivotal moments in that collection's history uh, as bonsai in North America was growing and evolving. And Jack had uh, a tremendous amount of really enjoyable stories and experiences to share, but also just the perpetuation and continuation of his bonsai journey after his curatorship ended and he's continued to progress himself as a bonsai artist was really, really cool to talk with Jack about. It was nice to get, sit down and get to know Jack a little bit more, and uh, I encourage you all to relax and uh, have a listen. Jack Sustick, everybody. Well, I'm super excited that you were willing to sit down with us because uh, I think my interpretation or impression of Jack Sustick is this, is this you know, figurehead for this very representative collection in North America that had, honestly, for me, as, as, a, as a bonsai professional, the National Collection has a lot of mystery. And then as I started kind of looking into your career and reading more about you and some of the articles that have been written and stuff, I realized, okay, so the National Collection was just one, one portion of a career that is ongoing with the, is it, do you call it the Mathai Botanical Garden? Mathai. 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 Okay. Botanical Garden. But also you're continuing to make your own trees on a continual basis. You've got your own collection. You're continuing to work uh, in organizations at the head of organizations. Like, wow. Wow. It's ongoing. Yeah. When you put it like that. Yeah, it is. And it seems as though you're sort of destined, you know, to be in a leadership role in bonsai. And I don't know how you feel about that, but that seems to be sort of uh, the, 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 the way of the warrior for Jack Sustick is, is a leadership role. It's interesting you say that because sometimes I realize that too myself and it's, uh, I never aspired to do that. Mm. That, that wasn't you know? something that you were like, I want to be, if I'm going to do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at the, at the head of these things. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I, uh, I remember that my very first uh, convention was really, it was at Brussels Rendezvous. And this was probably 1988 or 1989, somewhere in there. And John Naka was the headliner. And, you know, he would go around, he had his entourage. There was this group of people that always followed him around. And that evening he did the, he was the guest demonstrator, the main demonstrator. And uh, I remember sitting there watching it and thinking, this is really nice. I really like this, but I don't think I could ever do that or I don't really ever want to do that. And uh, 
but it just seems to keep coming up again and again. (laughs) Predetermined, predetermined. Yeah. Interesting. And not complaining, not complaining about it. It's just, uh, that was never my thing. I always just wanted to be right here where I am in my workshop working on trees. Mm -hmm. That's what I enjoy. That's what I really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. It being about the trees. Now yeah. you you were exposed to bonsai in South Korea when you were there military duty and I I just read mm-hmm. a, a brief snippet of it and you'd seen some greenhouses you got off the train and you re- recognized the greenhouses were filled with bonsai and you kind of hung out at these greenhouses while you were in Korea can you tell me more about that Well you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of my fellow soldiers that were totally happy with just staying on base and not really learning about the community. And I really wanted to get out there. And I figured out that if I got on a bus, say bus 23, I could ride that to the end or any spot I want and get off, cross the street and get on 23, going back to the same spot. Really was hard to get lost. And so I would do that, just get out. And if I saw something that interested me, I would just, I would get off if there was a market or whatever. And one day I was uh, riding a bus and I came to this area where it was all uh green industry things you know one shop was house plants and the next one were nursery plants and one after the other and then every about every fourth or fifth one i'd see bonsai and you know i didn't know the difference between a tomato plant and a maple tree back then and really didn't care until i saw the bonsai and i can't explain why they impacted me so much and anyway so i i hit the button to get off the bus and i got off and i just started hanging out around there, uh, couldn't speak the language, would wave at some people that might have recognized me from coming back. But, you know, that was that was a, the extent of my of bonsai impact there. But it was the, that that was the seed that started it all. Mm-hmm. Now, we're when you were in Korea, we're, we're and, and you're getting off base. Are there a lot of GIs that are that are out in the community or or was it rare to see another Caucasian or another American out in this uh, in this setting in Korea at that time? Yeah, I think it was pretty rare, especially uh, someone going out on their own. You know, we often had tours and that sort of thing that people would take advantage of. But just to kind of go out and experience it on your own, it was pretty rare. Was it dangerous at all? No, I don't think so. I never I never felt threatened or anything i never felt in danger from anything so okay never gave it a thought maybe looking back maybe now looking back you know i have an older mind and experience that you know maybe that i would have said no don't you better not do that right right yeah (laughs) i was was invincible of course youth and ignorance i mean it it is it is yeah yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> now, have you have you maintained any sort of, you know, over your bonsai journey, have you maintained any sort of contact with South Korean bonsai at all? I do. I have several friends that do bonsai and have been doing bonsai many years over there. And well, you know, so I was introduced to bonsai. That was the seed. But I also uh, married a Korean woman. OK, so my wife is Korean. So two things changed my life when I was there. Mm. And of course, bonsai, bonsai and my wife, or vice versa, I should say. Right. And uh, so because, you know, my wife is Korean, we go back every, not every year, every two years, at least, and uh, often visit with my bonsai friends there. Mm-hmm. 
And I've, I mean, uh, Mr. Kimura, you know, Mr. Kimura spoke minimally about bonsai on an international level. But one thing that always stuck out in my head was he said, there's bonsai in South Korea that is just as good, if not better than bonsai in Japan. I've always felt that myself. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's good to hear that. Yeah. 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 He acknowledged that. Yeah. I mean, I think Taiwan as well, you know, has been a, has been a bonsai community that he's sort of looked at and felt like, yeah, that what they're doing there is, is really interesting to him as at, at sort of the upper tier of what the, you know, I think the world's perspective of the highest level of bonsai in Japan. And it was really interesting for him to say, you know, in Korea, there, there's some artists there doing significant things. And in Taiwan, there's some artists there doing things that, that aren't being done in Japan. I thought that was really, it, it piqued my curiosity. And then, so then to find out that that was sort of the birth of your bonsai interest and, um, and now knowing more about yeah, your, your connection yeah. to Korea, that's, uh, that's really fascinating because that gives you a perspective that I would say no other North American bonsai practitioner has, which is an awareness of a bonsai culture that's not commonly discussed. Yeah, maybe, you know, I, one person uh, who has passed, Marty Smallenberg, I think that his, his interest in bonsai began in Korea also. But, okay. But yeah, it's, it, I think it is a unique perspective. Yeah. And is their bonsai approach in South Korea different from Japanese bonsai? You know, I often get that question. My general answer, overall answer, is uh, you can picture a penjing you know, punsai in your mind, and you picture a bonsai in your mind. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of in between that. Okay. So I asked uh, a bonsai master in, uh, in Korea once. He said, I asked him, what's the difference in your opinion between Korean bonsai and Japanese bonsai. And uh, he says, well, sometimes Korean bon or Japanese bonsai get as pretty as a picture. And he said, and I think that when they become pretty as a picture, they lose their naturalness. So maybe a little bit more rugged, mm -hmm. I guess. Maybe in some cases, not quite as refined. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, it's a, it's a rugged country too. I mean, the, the country and the, the, the people have an influence on the bonsai, of course. And yeah. Korea is no different. Kind of, it shows in the trees. And, and and what is rugged about Korea? The landscape or the culture itself? I think the primarily it's the landscape, very mountainous, and you know, and they're the they're tough. They're strong people. They've been uh, occupied by many different countries and and rulers for many many years. Mm -hmm. So you know, they're they're. They're uh, very persistent and have strong wills. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've <clears throat> sort of in modern society, it feels as though Korea may even have a higher degree of discipline than Japan at this point in time, just in terms of uh, I've read I've read several anthropological articles about the shift of Korean culture in, in the modern era and and the the degree of intensity and focus that has historically been associated with Japanese culture, but it's like even almost taking it to another level. And I thought that was really fascinating. I mean, all of these things are just sort of these random smatterings of information that, you know, you pick up a little tidbit here and a little crumb there and a little morsel there. And it's like piqued my curiosity over the course of time because that, yeah. that, that meshing, you know, that pinging aesthetic that is a little bit uh, more wild and informal contrasting the, you know, almost 
perfect form, you know, just slightly short of perfect form of Japanese bonsai. It's like both yeah. of them have merits, but if, if they hybridized, there's something in the middle there of that spectrum that is really interesting. And to think that Korean yeah. bonsai, which is Korea has been influenced by both China and Japan heavily uh, as an occupied yeah, right? place. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. The middle, the middle kingdom, you know, they're right in the middle. They've been, yeah, for sure, influenced by both countries at different times in history. Yeah, and uh, that's the best way I can explain it when people ask what's the difference or what is what does Korean bonsai look like? Yeah, do they call it bonsai in Korea? Bunjae. They call it what? Bunjae with a B. Bunjae, as in boy. Bunjae, yes. Bunjae. Okay, Penjing Bunjae and bonsai. That's really, that's really interesting. Yeah. Now, where did you grow up? Where did you grow up in in the United States, or did you grow up in the United States? I did. I grew up in Michigan which is where I am now. Right. Maybe, you know, in a couple of different areas in Michigan, but generally the region that I'm in now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and do you love Michigan? You know, I, I often, I'll tell people that where I live in Michigan, it isn't that great. It's not that special, mm-hmm. but it's where I grew So do I love it? I don't know. It's just, it is, it's home, you know, mm-hmm. the hardwood forests, you know, deciduous forests and, the the farmers fields and all of that is home to me. Yeah, is the is is the conditions and the climate of Michigan are the conditions and climate of Michigan challenging to cultivate bonsai? Yeah, very challenging. Yeah, yeah. just because, especially in the fall and in the spring, you know, just it's it's the well the spring dance really, you know, and it seems like we have to put them away and bring them out. 50 times more than anybody else, it seems like. <laughs> the Bonsai Shuffle Deluxe, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that makes it tough. But, you know, we got some tough trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems like there is uh, there is a committed Bonsai culture in Michigan. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been and I've worked in Michigan just one time. Um, but I see a lot of committed Bonsai practitioners doing really interesting things there. And it's like... Okay, my understanding is that it is a rather complex and challenging environment to cultivate bonsai in, but yet there seems to be this this association and interest that is is you know I think beyond budding and and even you know thriving in Michigan, and so it's it's yeah. always interesting to see bonsai cultures arise in places that have really challenging uh, environmental uh, extremes, and you and you guys have it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, there's a it's quite popular i can think of right off the top of my head at least five clubs here in the state and uh, we have an annual all state michigan all state bonsai show that every year it just gets better and better and the, the tree the quality of the trees get better and better all the time mm-hmm. it's it really is impressive who who brought yeah. bonsai to michigan back in the day i mean what how, how who 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 was like you know i feel like every region has kind of like a major central figure that kind of started the, the trend that. Yeah, Jack Weichel. Uh huh. If you know, if you know Jack, of he's been doing it for many years. I mean, since the early seventies. Yeah. He actually worked for Michigan State, and they have Michigan State has a, a garden called Hidden Lakes. Kind of. Well, it doesn't matter where it is. It's like it's uh, west of Lansing, but he he started working there, and I can't remember what his position was at the time, but. Uh, he kind of introduced them to bonsai, and now there's a quite nice collection there now 
of, of his trees and other trees. Other people have donated. And so it's a very nice small collection that they have. So Michigan, you know, not only do we have at least five clubs in the state and a really, really nice annual exhibition, but uh, we also have two public collections in the state. Yeah. And, and how uh, how important do you feel like public collections are for bonsai culture in a region? Well, I think they're I think they're very important as they uh, introduce a lot of people to bonsai that otherwise might not see it, mm-hmm. or you know. And I think a lot of them, that a lot of the public that comes and visits will ask, you know, how do you do this, and where do you learn how to do it, and it gives us an opportunity to kind of plant that seed again and then tell them about the local clubs and, and that sort of thing. So I think it, it really helps uh, to introduce bonsai to the general public for sure. Yeah. 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 And do you feel like clubs are set up to take people that have an interest and, and help them succeed? I think it depends on the club. Yeah. For sure. But, uh, I think, you know, it's another step. Of course, over the years, things have changed. I don't think clubs are quite, from what I can tell, quite as popular as they once were. Uh, there's many other ways to get information that te- people take advantage of. But, um, I think they, that the benefit of a club far outweighs, you know, not having clubs, the benefits of having clubs. Yeah. Now, when you came back from Korea, I, I sort of lost track of like, the journey from being back in the United States, I feel like I read that you were in Alabama and maybe in Alabama, you sort of got your feet underneath you and started bonsai. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's right. I, when I got, came back to Alabama, uh, Fort McClellan, Alabama, which is, was just uh, 30 miles east of uh, Birmingham. And at, at that time, they had the Birmingham Bonsai Society. And that's the first thing I did. It was join that club. And uh, they met at the Birmingham Botanical Garden every month. And so that's that's really where I started, you know, my learning about bonsai. And uh, interestingly enough, my first workshop was with Ben Oakey. <laughs> and I know that you've been, I think that he had a major influence on you. Significant. For sure. Significant. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I actually, I still have the, I had a little, I had a procumbens juniper that and he drew a picture of it uh-huh. you know of what it would look like and i still have that picture so that's how it all started the clubs you know and the workshops and that sort of thing in fort mcclellan yeah um but once i got into it once i started having my own trees then i got into just horticulture in general and how they grow and you know i need to learn how they grow if i'm gonna do this mm-hmm. So that's when my my career really changed is when I decided I was going to get out of the Army and then I'd come back here to Michigan and study horticulture at Michigan State. And so I did that mm-hmm. and, and still had trees here, my trees with me. And then after I graduated Michigan State, my wife and I went on a road trip and we kind of went to some places that we had Alabama and a few places that we had been before. And I dropped a resume off at uh, Riverbank Zoo and Botanic Garden in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Because hmm. I, I, I was stationed there for a couple of years. And this was before cell phones and all of that. And when I got home, I had a, a message on the answering machine for to come down for an interview there. So long story short, I got 
the job there as a greenhouse nursery manager and uh, joined the joined the bonsai clubs of South Carolina while I was there. And uh, during that time, um, the trade magazine, it was AABGA back then, but I think it's uh, American Arboretum and Botanic Garden magazine. And there was an ad in there for a apprentice at the National Arboretum in the Bonsai Museum. And that was, you know, that was Mecca, right? <laughs> right, right. For, for me and, and Bonsai. So anyway, I went to my bosses. I says, if I, you know, can I apply for this? If I get it, would you let me go? It was for six months. And they said, yeah. So, so I did. And I got it. And so went up there for six months. And it was, it was wonderful. I mean, Bob Dreschler, the first curator, was there at the time. And uh, all the, the Chinese pavilion and the international pavilion was brand new, had just opened the same month that I got there. Wow. And uh, it was a bit overwhelming, to be honest. And, uh, but I enjoyed it. Came back to, after that was done, I came back to South Carolina. And I don't know, it was a month or two months after that, I got a call and uh, they had found the funding or something for a, a two-year position, not to exceed two years. No guarantees, no nothing. Mm -hmm. So talked to my wife about it and uh, she was very supportive. And so we sold our house and moved to D.C. for a two-year stint. and. Uh, you know, soon after that, uh, Dan Chiplis was the assistant curator and he went to, he went to the Smithsonian. And so I became assistant curator. And about three years after that, I guess, uh, Warren Hill was curator and he retired and I became curator. So there was no grand plan on my part. It was just being <laughs> in the right place at the right time. Right. I never went, I never I never set out saying I'm going to be curator of the national collection one day. Yeah. 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 But they, but <clears throat> it's, I had no idea that you were basically there from the beginning. Well, it had just opened. The, not really. No, I mean the, the Chinese pavilion and the international pavilion had just opened, but the Japanese pavilion, I got there in 96. Uh-huh. And so that was 20 years after the Japanese gotcha. collection was there. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So the, the international pavilion and the Chinese pavilion were the additions, but the Japanese collection and the Arbor, right. the, the, the national collection was, it's my understanding. And I want to make sure that I get this right. It was created to house this, uh, this gift of bonsai from Japan to the United States, uh, which was a diplomatic gesture of friendship. Am I understanding that correctly? Is that how the whole thing began? That's right. Uh, you can technically you can back up a little further, and there was a demonstration at the National Arboretum by Yuji Yoshimura, and this was the first bonsai demonstration that there was at the Arboretum. And Dr. John Creech was the director at the time. And it was at that, during that event, at some point, the Yuji Yoshimura told, said to the director that, you know, you should have it, we should have a national collection or we should have bonsai here, uh, something like that. And that's, that's really what started it all. And uh, funny, the interesting thing is that tree that Yuji did was a boxwood in that demonstration is still in the collection. Wow. The first, the, so the first tree of the collection. Yeah, the first demo. Uh, at the Arboretum is 
it really is the first tree in the collection. That's amazing. Now, this was in the, what, late 60s, early 70s? Uh, probably right, right, maybe like right there in the middle 70, uh-huh. maybe somewhere between 69 and 71, something okay. like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then and, when did the Japanese then, yeah. pavilion actually open? And when did the, when, 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 when was there a formal bonsai collection at the National Arboretum? That was uh, 1976. Okay. Is the trees came in 1975 and they had to go into quarantine for a year because uh, they were, they were the, I think the first and the last group of trees that came in soil and so they had to they quarantined them for a year to monitor the soil and of course for any bugs and insects and that sort of thing then then they came to the arboretum in 76. interesting too that uh you know when they came to the united states they chartered a jet i think it was a 747 cargo plane and that was all that was in it were bonsai. Was, I, I, it was bonsai, and I think that's the only time that, you know, that a, a, a jet was chartered solely for bonsai. Right, right. How many trees came in that mm-hmm. in that uh, in that um, jet? Uh, Fifty-three. Fifty-three trees. Yeah, and some of them are you know pretty significant in size. Yeah, yeah. What an interesting. Yeah. Wow. What a radical. What a radical time. And so, and so when you, when you went up there for this, um, six month sort of internship, what were you doing? I mean, you, you had a horticultural degree, you were working in South Carolina, you go up to, uh, Mecca as far as collections in North America. I'm, I'm assuming there were other collections of bonsai present in North America, but I don't know that for sure. Was the national collection the first major public collection? There, there was a public collection at a very significant garden uh, in the New England, let's say, and uh, but it didn't have the commitment from the organization, right? That that it really needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were kind of on display, but they were fenced off. You could kind of see them, but that was about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think it was mainly that. This Mr. Lars Anderson, I think he was the ambassador to Japan at the time. There were there were trees that he uh, gave uh, the Arnold, the Arnold Arboretum. Okay, I have heard of the trees, Arnold Arboretum. Yeah, trees that he gave to them, and I think that honestly, that maybe they didn't quite know what to do with it. Right. And what? How? How? What kind of role does it play at the Arnold? So anyway, so the the national collection really was one of the first collections that was really dedicated to promoting bonsai and, you know, having it readily available to the public. Now the warehouser was in existence too, right about that time. If I'm not mistaken, at least when I got there, when I got to the national arboretum, the warehouser was well established mm-hmm. and it was, it was, it seemed to me, there might've been a few other public collections, but it seemed like those were the two. Gotcha. If you wanted to see bonsai, it was one of those two collections. Right. Did you now? Did you have any any sort of introduction to Dave DeGroote while he was in Louisiana, New Orleans, and you were down in Alabama? Did you guys cross cross paths at all? Nothing. Never, okay. Never cross paths, and although we talked back once, I became curator. We talked back and forth on the phone, but it was a number of years before we actually met in person. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So you go up for this internship and you're like, wow, this is exactly, I mean, how close was it to your experience in Korea in terms of seeing these trees and the level and like sort of your fascination with the whole thing? I think it was pretty, uh, pretty even for my, for my experience. So yeah, I've gone, I went from being in Korea and just kind of being around them. Right. And then now all of a sudden here I was actually working on them, mm-hmm. whatever, wiring or doing whatever they told me to do. If it was pruning or wiring or cleaning a trunk or weeding or watering or whatever it was, yeah, you know, hands on stuff. It was, uh, it was almost surreal to be honest with you for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, re- I, back then, you know, I was, I would wait every month for the BCI magazine or international bonsai magazine to come to my mailbox, you know, yeah, rush out there and look, check for it all the time. Right. Right. And, and I think it was ABS actually do, there was a couple of years there that they would feature a tree from the national collection and it'd be on the cover or maybe it might be in, might've been inside also but uh so you know these were like these iconic trees that i've seen in magazines you know and here i was among them and i was actually working on them yeah it was was pretty amazing how much how much go ahead i'm sorry well i remember uh actually being in the lower courtyard with bob dreschler who was the, the first curator and i told him flat i said i don't know how you could do this like how you do this i couldn't do it how can you keep up with everything? And uh, he was just like, well, you know, I just, you got to do what you got to do or something like that. And, right. uh, uh, and then, you know, a few years later there, I was doing it. How much mentorship were you receiving from Bob Greshler uh, and then later Warren Hill as the curator and, and when you became assistant curator, like what is that, what did that dynamic look like at that time and how did it differ between the two curators? Well, I got, when I got to the Arboretum, you know, I think Bob Dreschler had like four months left before he retired. And so he was definitely at the end of his career and he was wrapping things up. And, uh, um, I think Dan Triplis was doing more day-to-day stuff while Bob was doing that. Um, Bob was very self-effacing and, and, uh, very, very humble. And I remember one time we brought a tree in and he asked me to take the wire off or do something to it. And I started taking it off and I, in my ignorant youth, I said, who wired this tree? This is you know, this is, this is really not good or something like that. He goes, well, I think I did. <laughs> and I said, oh, and I shut my mouth. And, uh, but that was Bob. He was very, uh, very humble and, and felt, and he worked hard, but I think he felt like he, uh, for some reason didn't do a very good job or something like that, but he yeah. did an excellent job. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then Warren Hill came on board. And Warren Hill was from California with a lot of experience and a lot of talent, uh, a great artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned a lot from Warren. And, you know, uh, the dynamic that the dynamic was very different, mm-hmm. very, very different. Mm-hmm. So yeah. did Warren provide more more confident mentorship for you then? Yes, he did. And he, you know, he would he was a 
I don't think he ever really taught as a teacher, but I think he was a, he would have been a good teacher in a, in a classroom setting. Mm -hmm. And so he, he, we talked about, you know, a lot often about, you know, the elements in design and, uh, and it definitely from his perspective and looking at trees in the collection and what, what made certain aspects of the tree good and certain aspects bad. So I, I learned a lot from it and, and a lot about display. So, you know, the, the international pavilion has a special exhibits wing where we would have special exhibits in it mm. periodically three or four times a year. Anyway, special uh, or, or, or targeted exhibits like fall foliage, winter silhouettes, that sort of thing. And I learned a lot from him about display and the art of display. And Warren was largely educated by John Naka and and the the bonsai practitioners in California, or did he have experience beyond that? No, I think that his the extent of that that experience that bonsai experience was from John and being just in that Southern California scene mm -hmm. for many years. Yeah, yeah. What was the um? What was the energy like at the National Collection? You've got the Weyerhaeuser and you've got the National Collection in D.C. And Bonsai, Yuji Yoshimura is in the northeastern United States. I'm assuming Von Banting was a significant presence in the southeastern United States. You had John Naka, Harry, Ben, uh, and this group of practitioners from California, Warren Hills, you know, the curator. What, what was that time like at such a significant institution? Um, yeah. That's a great question. Uh, you know, for me, from my perspective, it was beyond exciting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we'd have a, have an annual national bullseye foundation meeting and all those people, except, except for Yuji, who Yuji passed away like in 97. I never had a chance to meet him, but everybody else, Vaughn Banting, John Naka, Harry Harrell, Warren Hill, and, and others would come to the Arboretum, you know, and the ever the energy level would just skyrocket, mm. and uh, you know I just I'd be in awe. Yeah, kind of at the pinch pinch myself that I'm rubbing elbows with all these people. Yeah, yeah, and and was there a lot of support at that time for the collection at, in the arboretum? Oh yes, like on a on, a, on like, a grander level, the director of the arboretum found the bonsai collection to be of importance and wanted to allocate resources towards it. I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I got there, uh, Tom Elias uh, was had just become the director. And, um, you know, long story short, he came to really have a passion for bonsai and viewing stones, Suiseki, and the museum. So the, the museum benefited greatly from his tenure as director. Mm -hmm. So when... When uh, Warren stepped down, who followed Warren? Did you follow Warren, or was there another individual between Warren and yourself uh, as the curator? I did. You did. I did. Okay. Yeah, I did. Uh -huh. And did you feel how? What's yeah, that? What's that like when you step from an assistant curator role into a curator role in terms of pressure, expectation, shift of style and approach? What was that like? I mean, I think it would be sort of maybe not quite to this extreme, but, um, taking off in a rocket, you know, and knowing that you can't, you can't change your mind. Right. right? Yeah. The rocket's gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that, 
big time. You know, I, there was honestly there when I became curator, there was a, a huge, strong feeling that, you know, I wasn't qualified. Mm-hmm. You know, I just wasn't qualified for all this, mm-hmm. all this, you know, there's so much to juggle. And you, you, you know, you have a Chinese collection, North American collection, and Japanese collection. And although I had a good foundation, you know, I wasn't at, you know, the highest level. And so that was an overwhelming feeling for me. But I'm grateful for all the support that everyone gave me, especially, you know, the, the those people that we mentioned, like John Naka and Vaughn Banting. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing but supportive and encouraging. And that made all the difference in the world. Yeah. Did you, did you, I mean, did you want the curatorship when, when you knew Warren was getting ready to step down and you were assistant curator? Were you like, I, w- I want that position or did, did, were they kind of like, Hey Jack, you're, uh, you're up. <laughs> uh, m- maybe a little bit of both. Okay. You know, I think there's a part of me, you know, you, you're there, the, the, that ego part, you know, but you know, why not, why not strive for it? And it's, it's at the highest level give it a shot but it's it's one thing to think that and it's one thing to actually get it right <laughs> right right <laughs> those are those are yeah so, careful what you ask for kind of a thing right yeah yeah right right so what was the what was the most unexpected aspect of becoming curator of the national collection something that you could not have anticipated mm, that's a good question i think uh, the first thing i think I, comes to mind is all of the the people around the world that I got acquainted with and eventually made friends with and got to know, you know, Saburo Kato and the Iwasakis and Jane Yamashiroya and Hawaii. The list just goes on and on. Yeah. The opportunities, the opportunities that it afforded me and um, the friendships that it, it gave me. That's that was that's priceless. And I, I didn't really didn't expect that. Did you, I mean, like, what's that like to have to learn the kind of diplomacy to be able to conduct yourself in a position of leadership on a national level as a representative? Well, that's another good question. Uh, I don't know. I don't quite know. I think that, you know, you have, you, it's innate, almost intuitive that you either, you, you have that ability or you don't. Right. Was there something you know, growing that, up that, that there was there something growing up that, you know, gave you that ability? Were you born with it? Were you a, were you a leader in the military? I mean, like, did that, did that groom you a little bit for it? Maybe, yeah, that's a good, good question. I, I don't know as though, you know, squad leader at times, but not, not, I wouldn't necessarily say a leader. I never was in long enough really to, to gain much rank to mm-hmm. be a leader, but uh, that, certainly being in the military helped. But I think empathy is a is a good trait to have when you can put yourself in other people's position and try to understand them and where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard I, to explain. I, uh, I've spoken with people that were volunteers uh, while you were curator. Obviously, you know, Aaron Packard and I are quite close. And uh, mm-hmm. every single person that I talk to about having worked with you has nothing but fantastically positive things to say about you. And so, you know, it sort of goes hand in hand. It's like I, I, growing up in Boneside for me, Warren Hill was, 
was was a you know holy like figure and his stance as the curator of the national collection sort of set him apart and then he also had a tremendous amount of artistry right he wasn't a bonsai yeah. mechanic he was a bonsai artist which i really appreciated and i've i've met warren a number of of times you know uh, towards the latter portion of his career and really always enjoyed getting to getting to converse with Warren. But like that, that stance of like the, the curator of the national collection, the, when I came to the national collection for the first time, you were uh, acting curator at that point in time. That was the first time that I had ever seen it. And watching mm-hmm. the way that, the, watching the way that the room really turned its attention to Jack Sustick when he was present. You know, like your position in the in the in the 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 zeitgeist of the national collection, it really is a collection where the curator almost holds the same kind of implications and presence as, say, John Naka held in Southern California as a leader of that community, Ooh. right? Like, and that that experience of seeing you in that position really started to help me understand how significant public collections were and how interesting the skill set of a curator for our small little art form, right, in the in this grand you know, ocean of all of these different creative endeavors holding their different, you know, senses of clout and social hierarchies and whatnot. But it just really helped me recognize, wow, a curator, this is a different skill set than a bonsai practitioner. This is a different skill set than a bonsai master. It's a combination of character traits and responsibilities that probably most of the world and most of the bonsai community has no comprehension of. Yeah, there's a there's a lot more to it than what meets the eye and a lot of juggling and a lot of, uh, you know, you, you have to be a, a manager and a horticulturalist and a, a budget person and a bit of a politician. Maybe I don't like that word too, too much, but mm-hmm. you have to, uh, there's so many things that you have to juggle. And I felt, I, I learned. Now, was there ever anybody uh, you know, bonsai related or non-bonsai related, because obviously you're showing the collection not only to John Naka and Von Banting or Daiso Iwasaki or Saburo Kato, but you're also showing the collection to, I'm assuming, foreign diplomats. I'm assuming you're showing the collection to important government relations and stuff like that. Anybody that stands out mm-hmm. as like you were really either in awe or completely petrified uh, at having to sort of be a representative in that stance or case? Well, the person that comes to mind when you say that is Sandra Day O'Connor. Okay. She was a Supreme Court justice. Right. And she actually liked, she liked the Bonsai Museum. I think she came there like maybe three times while I was there. And uh, she was a... a bit intimidating. Well, she was a judge, right? She was a Supreme Court justice. And if she had a question, she'd look right, you right straight in the eye with a serious face and be like four inches from your face, you know, and, <laughs> and ask you these questions. How often do you water? You know, and things like that. And it just takes you back a little bit. It's a little less casual. You feel like maybe you're on trial, right? right. So <laughs> that was a little bit intimidating and I had to get used to that. But uh, yeah, she comes to mind right off the bat. Yeah. Did you ever have somebody come and say, Jack, why are you doing it like this? Do you ever have somebody come and just like, because you're, you're, 
people are looking at you through a microscope. They're looking at the state of the collection yeah. through a microscope. Were you, were people ever, did you ever have people question your methodologies and feel attacked or slightly defensive of like, uh, what, what was being sort of put upon you? Yeah, no, I can't, re- can't recall that really ever happening, but I do know that, well, people saying like, well, you should do it this way or you should do it that way. It was never like, why are you doing it like this? You know? So I could have someone come in like you uh, one week and say, you know, this, I would do this X, Y, and Z. Sure. Right. Sure. And then the next week, another person of high regard would come in and say, well, I would do it A, B, and C, mm-hmm. the very same thing. And I always felt like I was, was respectful of everybody's opinion, but you know, I'm the, I had to, I have to sleep with myself at night, right? Yeah. I had to make the decisions, yeah. but they were educated decisions based on, based on what people, people's opinions or, you know, what they, what they said. Mm-hmm. I didn't just totally disregard people, uh, people's comments. I really did take them in and consider them. I didn't always do them. Yeah, sure. And you, know, you had to be careful because if you if one week you do it like somebody said it and then next week you do it like somebody else said that the only things that will suffer will be the trees yeah of course did you ever have any moments where trees in the collection were were sort of veering off the uh, off the 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 good course and headed down a bad course and really i mean i would imagine there would be a high level of anxiety because it's not like your backyard where you're doing this in private like everybody knows these trees I I think about this. It actually gives me stress to think about it. Right. Because like think being a curator of a public collection and I've talked with Aaron about this a little bit too. It's, it's, it's the, the, the provenance of these pieces is so important and it's such a public entity that there is no, there is no hiding. There's no privacy. There's no hiding. Oh, you're right. There's no privacy. You're, you're, you're totally out there exposed. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you do the best you can. Um, these trees, I remember going to Japan and, uh, it, well, I, I stayed at Monsayan for two months and I went, you know, they they have their, every nursery kind of has their own graveyard. Yeah. So to speak. Right. And why would the national collection or any public collection not be the same? I mean, just because it's a national collection doesn't mean every single tree is going to look perfect all the time. Sure. But, you know, before that epiphany that I had, uh, it was huge stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and even, even, even rationalizing uh, that a tree is not doing so well. Um, and, and, you know, you did everything right. Cause sometimes you do everything right. And a tree gives up the ghost on you for some reason, Sure, you know? So even rationalizing it, it was still very, very stressful for sure. Yeah. I can't imagine. I, I really, I really can't. You know, I've, I've used Mirai very much as an incubator to, you know, try, try things, try, try different things, try things that haven't been tried, tried things that had been tried and maybe forgotten or weren't well executed to see, you know, like I look back at, at bonsai techniques one and two by John Naka and recognize there's techniques in there that were way ahead of their time and have almost been forgotten, you know, in the publication seeming like it's antiquated, but there's still cutting edge techniques in there that I don't see people practicing and I don't see having been mastered or really having the boundaries of their applicability tested and stuff. And, you know, through a lot of that experimentation at Mirai, I mean, it's been, it's been a, it's been a bumpy ride. 
And and as a as a public collection, I'm imagining that you probably can't take you can't probably can't be that cavalier, and you probably can't take those risks as much. But I'm wondering now that you're not in a curatorial position of the national collection, and you have your private collection that you're working on. Are you exploring more, or are you finding that it's that you have? sort of built a bonsai practice that you really enjoy as as a dedication and a discipline and is less about branching out or or innovating. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. Well, I, in, in many ways, I think I'm pretty traditional. So, but I'm also open to, to new ways and new ideas of doing things. You know, people would come to the, they go back to like, well, why don't you do it like this? Or why don't you do it like that? Or or this is a new technique that people are doing. Why don't you try that? And over the year, throughout the years, my trees have been, my trees have been the guinea pigs because I felt, you know, the, the Japanese collection at the National Arboretum, I think the average age is around 100 years old. Yeah. And they've been doing pretty well for the last 100 years without these new, without a new technique applied to them, right? Yeah, yeah. So... I would, I would, I wasn't always, I wasn't eager or quick to to try the new techniques on those old trees. Sure. So now, did you maintain your I, own collection while you were a curator at the National Collection? Yes. So you did, did bonsai at work, and then you went home and did bonsai at home. Yeah, busman's holiday every day seemed like. Wow! Wow! Did you ever get tired of it? You ever get tired of bonsai? You know, there's sometimes. When I think, you know, maybe I should just sell them all and that would free up my time to do other things. <laughs> and then I come out into the collection and I get excited about next year or what I want to do, you know, and I like, no, I can't sell them. Yeah. I, it's been so long since I've had bonsai. There's just, I don't know what I would do without them. Yeah. 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 I think that. I mean, I have a couple of trees I've had since 1990, you know? Cool. So you would, you know, with them caring for them every day since 1990 to one, one level or another, mm-hmm. right. Attending to them, they become a part of you. Yeah. yeah. What was it? I mean, uh, working with Aaron as assistant curator, here's this kid from Southern California. He's studying uh, museum curation in college. He's in DC cause it's the Mecca. And all of a sudden he's, he's uh, wanting to, to, to dig into bonsai as his curatorial medium of choice. What, what was it like working with Aaron? He's been on the podcast a number of times. We, we, we love the Pacific Bonsai Museum. I really respect Aaron yeah. a lot, but you saw him at, in his infancy. So do you want my, like, my official on-air answer or the unofficial off-air answer? It's just you and me talking. So let's no, go, let's go, let's go in, <laughs> no, for, in totally informal, kidding. brutal truth. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, he was without, uh, sounding like the typical answer. He was, he was great. He had a lot of energy. Uh, he was a, a sponge, you know, mm-hmm. and he was willing to, uh, do what needed to, what he needed to do to be successful. And, uh, I'm very proud of him. And, I was when he said that he had got the job at the Pacific Museum. I thought, man, what a perfect opportunity for him. Yeah, you know, I think uh, certainly the uh, that the the bonsai mecca used to be in Southern California and has moved up to the Pacific Northwest and yeah. to be out there at a young age, uh, boy, very very exciting. But he he was 
you know, I can't think of any negative or anything. You just had a lot of energy and maybe sometimes you tap on the brakes a little bit, you know, when it like, I don't know, when you think about uh, the new techniques and the, uh, the new generation on those old trees. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I, they, they've been around a long time. So let's just go at it slowly with, on those old trees. But boy, he was a very talented, great from the beginning. I felt. Mm-hmm. Did, um, did, did you assume that he would take over the curatorship when you stepped down? Yeah, I figured that that, that was going to be the scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when, because, uh, I mean, I had a, the, the date, my retirement date in mind and, you know, yeah, I thought that, that he would probably be the, the, the next curator. And then when he, he said that he had gotten that job, I was really thrilled for him. You know, the, you have a public collection and you have everything that goes with that public collection, all the challenges and uh, the challenges are great and the rewards are great, but then you add the element of the federal government to it. And um, that's a whole nother layer of, you know, bureaucracy that you have to deal with. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know of anybody that really enjoys dealing with that. So when he actually went to Pacific Bonsai Museum, I thought that would be a perfect fit for him because it would give him a chance to kind of spread his wings and, and do things that he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems to me, you know, there's like a, it's like a double-edged sword at the National Collection, right? You have these trees that are so historical, you know, they have provenance, they've been gifted, they've had these aesthetics, and, and, and you're walking this line as a curator of saying, okay, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a passionate bonsai practitioner, I've got my own trees outside of curation, I'm taking care of these trees that have this long-standing shape and condition and behavior, and this is not the tree to try out the new fandangled technique on, right? But but then right. you, you 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 also have a lot of other people weighing in on how you should be handling behaving. You have a board that's informing and helping with the decision making, or maybe even predominantly making decisions that might not necessarily. And I'm not saying that you disagreed with anything. I'm just saying I can imagine the 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 challenge of of balancing this whole you know, tightrope walking act, uh, while you're trying to do this thing that keeps these trees alive and is for the betterment of them. And then there's other people weighing in that might not understand all of that, that have some clout and power that you've got to listen to. The whole thing sounds (laughs) very, very challenging to me. And when I saw Aaron move from DC to the Pacific Bonsai Museum, you know, that, that curator curatorial position has carte blanche on those trees. And, and, and I really do think it was the right fit for him because he's brought about some dramatic aesthetic enhancements to those trees. You know, they're different than maybe where, where Dave would have taken them. And, uh, his exhibitions have certainly been very, very impressive in my mind. Um, the work that he's done. Yeah. So it's like, it's a really interesting cutting his teeth at such an instant, you know, profound institution in DC and then moving to a little bit more of a bohemian, bohemian freer form of curatorial uh, execution uh, like what a what a yeah. contrast in his career what a tremendous skill set each of you have had to build that again i just want to reemphasize is such an outlying skill set for common bonsai practitioners to be able to digest and comprehend i mean it's insane yeah it's yeah. a 
there's a lot there's a lot to juggle there you know especially as i said especially with with the government and you know just so nice to see aaron and the exhibitions that he's had and is still having Mm -hmm. i can't i don't know as though that all of those would have happened in dc right just because of the bureaucracy of it all right right so yeah now why did you what what led to you deciding it was time you know, like how do you how do you know when to step away from such a from such a intensely intimate relationship with such a profound collection? I guess mainly it was, you know, I was eligible to retire. That made a difference. Okay. Right. And you know, the, as we spoke, as we've been talking, you know, the it is pretty stressful, and you know it, that that stress level and that responsibility never goes away. It's 24 seven, Yeah, you know, in the middle of the night, first thing when you think of when you get up in the morning yeah. are those trees and the last thing when you go to bed. And, uh, I just wanted to, at that point, I felt like, okay, you know, I've kept the, the trees alive for a while and they look pretty good. I think I've, I've, I've done what I can do here and now I, I can go back and, um, attend to my collection in my little, uh, studio mm-hmm. and enjoy, just enjoy bonsai instead yeah. of having all that other stuff. I always, I, I would half joke with the volunteers and stuff. And I would say, you know, I'd volunteer for nothing. It's all that other stuff they have to pay me for. <laughs> right. and, 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 that, and that's true. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and do you feel the relief of not having that responsibility of the national collection, or do you just feel that responsibility towards your collection and you actually haven't really been granted any relief now? No, absolutely relief. <laughs> That's I mean, great. That's great. I mean, you know, I don't know if relief is the right word about it, but, uh, I don't, I, you know, I only answer to myself. Yeah, of course. All right. Yeah. Freedom. I do whatever I want with Freedom. my Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. It's all from me. That's right. And, uh, and it's not that I don't, I don't regret being at the National Arboretum for one minute. You know, sure. it, it's afforded me, uh, we, I wouldn't be here talking to you if it wasn't for that. You're in the history position, books, man. Right? You're in the history books. So, you know, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I am really, I'm so grateful to have had that opportunity. So I don't regret it one bit. Yeah. 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 yeah tremendous. It is stressful. A tremendous re- re- relief of a burden and a weight that you had to carry. Now, what's it like? Have you been back? Do you go back frequently? Have you been back, uh, you know, any number of times? And what's it like to go back to the collection now? You know, I had uh, a couple of study groups there when I left. So I was going back five or six times a year until the pandemic. And then that all kind of stopped. And then during the pandemic, I picked up this job at MathEye. And so I really can't go back to the, the study groups, but, uh, I did go back in May of this year hmm. and, uh, you know, it was some of the names and faces have changed, but the story is still the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, was it, did you feel, I mean, I, I, I don't know how Warren felt of how you took over the collection and the direction that you took it 
And uh, I have no idea how Dave DeGroote feels about how Aaron's taken over to the collection at Pacific Bonesaw Museum and the direction he's taking it. But I would have to imagine that there, it's not, it's not negative. You're not commenting on the new curator's uh, abilities, but just it's, di- it's a different direction than, I have to believe it's a different direction, or there are things that are different than it was under, when it was under your direction. Is that an interesting thing to experience and grapple with when you go back? No, not really. I mean, it's inevitable, right? Uh-huh. Okay. It's, kind of, not, it's very gracious the, of you. One, the constant is change, right? Right. right. And it's, it's not me, you know, and it's it's somebody else leading the way. Do I wonder why things are, certain things are the way they are and not another way? Sure, like anyone else, but, but um, that's the decisions they have to make. Yeah. And, you know, I try not to, I don't, I don't get involved with that. Yeah. And you're probably relieved to not be making them yourself. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure they have enough people asking them why they're doing that. Yeah, maybe. Huh? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> now, have you seen or over your tenure um, in bonsai, because now we're talking about a fairly prolonged career in bonsai. Have you seen bonsai radically change in North America? Yes. The quality is so much better. The the number of people doing it is is there's so many more people that are practicing bonsai now than when I got into it. Mm-hmm. And you know we were thanks to to people like you that have that went to Japan and studied for a, quite a length of time and brought that knowledge back has been a huge benefit to to bonsai in North America. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know that coupled with I think. Uh, I, Bill Galvanis deserves a lot of credit for the national show. Absolutely, you know, to, to raise the that the level of of technique and uh, of bonsai in the United States has changed a lot. I mean, we are, we've went from like pretty legit bonsai. We've gone from like Charlie Brown Christmas trees to some pretty legit bonsai. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, <laughs> to it, a certain degree. Yeah, you know? yeah. Is there any, is there any sort of like, um, sadness or like nostalgic component to when you see bonsai now compared to how it was when you were coming up where you say, guy, I really miss that. I'm really sad that that's gone or changed or is different now. I can't, nothing comes to mind at the moment, except, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, the founding folks that I miss. Yeah. And the people that are, that are not involved uh, as much anymore. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, you know. Um, of course, you know, John Nakahari, Harrell, Marion Gillen Swan, Jerry Stoll, the, the list goes on and on of those people that are no longer with us. Yeah. And uh, I, I often think it'd be nice what, 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 how nice it would be if they could come back and see, you know, where Bonsai is now. Uh, they kind of led, laid the groundwork for it. Yeah. 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 When I look at bonsai techniques too, and you see John Naka take a picture of a bristlecone pine and then do a sketch of it, you know, shrunk down into a bonsai container. It's like he, he, I really saw in John's evolution, even in what he just represented through his books, like he was headed in the same direction as, as I think you see a lot of people, you know, Walter Paul and Dan Robinson obviously had this and Nick Lenz was a big 
proponent of representation yep. of native trees and native forms in 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 the bonsai practice and pursuit as opposed to sort of this you know uh, more more traditional application of style and design and it is interesting to see the same thematics sort of following you know they they they're they're a continuum of this art form uh, but there are more, you know, radical techniques and scientific discoveries and breakthroughs and things that are happening. But I look back on when I was in college and, you know, Yasuo Mitsuya and Kathy Shainer were the the new kids on the street in in California in the early 2000s and like so much exciting things so many exciting things were happening and Boone was back and his wiring was like something nobody had ever seen and he was teaching courses in a structure and curriculum that hadn't existed you know in that fashion to date and the Boone mix being yeah. a revolutionary soil and it's like you know I I look back on those times of ignorance bliss the ignorance that I had yeah I knew yeah. nothing. I could contort a tree with unannealed copper wire that just mangled this piece of nursery stock. And I was thrilled. I was absolutely yeah. thrilled. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was utopia. I mean, you had these experts, yeah, right. you, you looked up to them and like they were the North Star and you kind of did your best to try your hand at it. And it was just so much fun. And it is, yeah, you're right. Sure. Yeah, it feels so much more serious now, obviously, being a professional type trying to make a living, the pressure of having a lot of important trees, you know, even though it's not as public, like Mirai is pretty public. It's not like the national collection or something like that. But it's like, yeah, it, it, there's a burden that comes with the maturity, both of the individual and in their practice, as well as the institution that they're, that they are curating. And, and, uh, yeah. my nostalgia actually is about knowing less, you know, and, and, and having yeah, it be yeah. more, more fun and lighthearted than it is now. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. My, from a personal perspective, yeah, that in the beginning, that that excitement, you know, and in creating whatever it was, I remember I had a, I bought an Alberta spruce from a local nursery, and I styled it, and I just loved it. I was so excited, and I took pictures, you know, and and it died, but you know, <laughs> it, uh, I just enjoyed it. It was uh -huh. so much fun. Yeah, and you're right. You don't have. You don't have that. You're not encumbered with the other baggage. Right. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. Abs absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the most important thing. I, I have people that I talk to new people in bonsai. So the most important thing is that you have fun. Bonsai has got to be fun. Yeah. You know, yes. when I first saw bonsai, I didn't say, man, that looks like a drag. I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. Totally. Yeah. That right? looks like it's going right? to suck. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Uh -huh. right? No, you, you got to have have to have fun somehow. So what do you enjoy most about bonsai now? I mean, the, this, this, this massive narrative arc of the career of Jack Sustick, you're still crushing in your backyard. What gets you up every day? What keeps you, because there is a temptation to be free of the responsibility. I, I feel that. I feel that now. Some days I'm yeah. like, I would like to give Mariah to somebody, know that they're going to take care of it. And I would actually like to not have to worry about the fact that it's going to be a hundred degrees this coming weekend. Like I would love to be free of that. Yeah, right. I would love for a hundred degrees to not be a negative thing for me anymore. You know, like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Constantly. The weather is constantly on your mind. It's always yeah, there. It's it. always, I think it's a, certainly an evolution. It's a, it's a, that stage in my life, like I said, I have a couple of trees here since that I've had since 1990, and 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 different years since then. 
And it's it, the excitement. What gets me up in the morning is seeing these trees mature, mm-hmm. you know, and they're starting to get a little age on them. Not, you know, that's all relative. I mean, they're since 1990, when you compare something that's been since 1890, but for me, they've been bonsai a long time for me. Right. And uh, just to see them mature, see the ramification developing nicely and the nabari and you can style a young tree and it still looks young, right? And then yeah. when they get old, there's a certain beauty to that. And uh, that's what really gets me up in the morning. It makes me excited for next year and the following year and the following year to continue to see them um, mature. Yeah. That's yeah. what, yeah, that's what gets me up. Do you, um, do you still enjoy taking raw material and, and, and giving it its initial styling or, or would you say that your preferences have moved more towards that state of maturation and handling that? I like the raw material phase, but I, and, and, but I want to stick with it. I want to keep it, you know, I want to see it through Yeah, from that raw material. Today I'm working on a U that I, that I collected around 2015 and it's, Last year, I put it in a bonsai pot for the first time, and it's just starting to develop and starting to look nice now. Yeah. Right? I enjoy that. And in fact, when I was in D.C., I frankly, I did get tired of doing maintenance work, you know, like finished work on a tree, Mm -hmm. and then coming home and doing finished, having to do the finished work on my trees, the finished work. And so they renovated the Japanese pavilion, gosh, probably 10 years ago now. But they had a, the MBF had a fundraising campaign for that. So I decided, you know, I'm getting tired of, of doing the same thing at work as I am at home. So I'm going to, I'm going to sell a lot of my trees to raise money for the Japanese pavilion. And so I did. And I kind of started over, you mm. know, with the raw material. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Bold move. I didn't, I didn't sell everything because I still have, you know, some of those older trees that had a lot of meaning to me. I kept, but I, I cleaned out a lot. Wow. And uh, so that's really I'm, I'm starting to transition into the, the finished work again. You know, you're, ba- you're back there. Damn it. Yeah. That's, the, cycle, the cycle, the cycle repeats itself. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, uh, that's actually really interesting that you say that. Cause right now at Mirai, I, you know, this we're I'm 13 years in. And, and there's an awful lot of finish Amazing. work from all the, from all the trees that we've been making over the course of time. There's an awful lot of finish work now. And you do get to that point where the finish work does take a lot of time. And the more branches that a tree has, the more, you know, the more when it gets out of shape, it takes to, it takes wire That's and right. time to get it back into shape or to move it yeah. forward in its progression. And I, and I've also sort of reached a point where we're turning loose of some of these trees that are demanding that sort of maintenance so that I can re-engage with raw material, uh, again, and, and the initial design and continue to keep that skill set fresh mm-hmm. and moving forward is, is sort of where I'm at. And it's, this is the first time in, in my, in my journey that I've gotten to this point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to yeah. need to get rid of some of these mature trees so that I can continue to create new trees and work with, raw material and different species. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a real, I, I don't think a lot of, you know, practitioners that are dealing with, with, with smaller collections, um, you know, probably experience this to a degree, but as a professional, you know, you being a professional and managing a massive collection, me being a professional and having a lot of trees in the garden, these, these, these themes do come up and it's, um, 
Nobody's yeah. really ever talked about that. Nobody's really ever documented yeah. that. And that's a that unspoken aspect of it. It's not like it's new and it's not like we're the first ones to experience it, but it's certainly, you know, yeah. recognizing that it's a part of this art form is is really is really new to me. These are these are the things that even yeah. though I was in Japan for six years and I've been doing bonsai since I was twelve, like you don't know it until you know it, you know? No, you do it, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, as you well know, it takes a lot of work to get from point A to that to do finished work on a bonsai. There's a lot of work that goes into that. To so get much it there. work. And then and then you can't let the finished work go. Nope. You know? Nope. You you lose what you work so hard to get to that point for absolutely so it's not like it's not like you can't do it you've got to do it yeah it's no it's no longer an option yeah it's no longer an option and you can you can look at it as like the amount of effort and time i've put into this to get it to this point i can't invalidate that effort and that time by not showing up today you know not showing up when this tree needs it and that is yeah yeah, that's a that's a pressure all into itself it's self-inflicted because we want to get our trees to a point of refinement but you you become a slave to the tree a little bit you pay the price for taking it that far that's that's a part of it yeah 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 you get it there and then you have to keep it there. Totally. Absolutely. This yeah. is where I think Dan Robinson probably struck the best balance of anybody in bonsai. Cause he was like, I'm going to sort of let go of the reins and I'm going to see what happens and I'm going to work with whatever's left over. And it's like, that is another way. It is another way that creates a, ra- a radical style and form. And it's not like Dan's not working on the trees. Whenever a tree gets too bushy, too formal, too uh, youthful looking, Dan's going to take it right back to the the borderline of life and death and ruggedness and and then watch it go through uh-huh. it all over again. So I, I've learned a lot looking at his approach and different practitioners' approaches. I think Walter Paul is also just a radical madman with the number of trees that he maintains. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's a total yeah, psycho. But I mean, you know, I not to take anything away from them. The the, the trees they create are wonderful. But you know, I come from that the background of the of the national collection where you know they've got they're on show. Yeah, you know, you you can't. You can't let them go. Periodically, we let them go. We put them in the back where you can't see them and kind of let them go a little bit, right? To regain some vigor and health, whatever the situation is. But we just don't have the the luxury of uh, just letting all the letting the collection go for a while. Can't do it. Yeah. And I think that just kind of the my mindset. It's 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 ingrained in the back of my head. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Amazing stuff, Jack. Yeah. So, I mean, like, do you have anything, anything, uh, you know, bonsai related coming up that you're looking forward to? The hundredth Kung Fu? Will you be going? Uh, the national shows or any of these uh, world bonsai events, or or is is Jack going to be staying local and close to home? No, you know, I didn't get involved with m- many exhibitions uh, during my tenure there, but. Uh, next week we have a uh, the West Midwest Bonsai Society I think is having their annual forty seventh annual show or something like that at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Cool. So I'm going to go to that. Yeah. Uh, take a couple trees of mine and a couple from the collection. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm planning to go to the National Collection, and then in 2026 is uh, the tenth World Bonsai Collection uh, uh, exhibition in Kuala Lumpur. Mm. Uh, that's through the WBFF. Mm-hmm. So that's on my calendar. Yeah. 
Yeah. So another thing to keep me going. <laughs> yeah, right. Wake me up in the morning. I guess. God. Yeah. Your 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 association with international bonsai is like that. That's so so radical. I even studying in Japan with Mr. Kimura, a lot of people came through his garden. A lot of international presence every year with the Coke Fu and the WBFF came and he did a live demonstration for them one year and Kimbone magazine and all that stuff. I, I was there for that. Yeah, that's right. I was there for that. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, but the, the, it, it pales in comparison to being at the head of, uh, of a national collection. And I, I see this when I go to Australia too, you know, it's like their Canberra, their collection in Canberra. It's like a, it's a centrifuge for Australian bonsai. They're showing Australian artists work. They have historical pieces from, you know, prominent, bonsai practitioners, the Korshoffs and some of the longstanding names in Australian bonsai. And, and it's like, you know, forever, uh, Lee and they're etched in Australian bonsai history. You're, you are yeah. etched in North American bonsai history. Your, your relationships with, uh, the Katos and the Iwasakis of the world is that, that'll never go away. It, it's freaking awesome, man. Uh, uh, grateful beyond words. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Like we're, I can't, I can't, articulate the gratitude that I have for that. You were made for it. You were made for it. And, uh, you know, I just want to say thanks because, um, it, I, I take tremendous pride in our public collections. And I think when you were the curator at the national collection, I, 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 I've sort of lost contact with it. You know, Aaron and Aaron Packard had really sort of brought me in just to see the national collection and interact with you guys a little bit. And, I was really, I was really proud and still am proud of that collection. You know, I've, lo I've lost a little That's bit great. of contact with it, but, uh, but I, I really feel a lot of gratitude towards you because I think you represented Bonsai in North America so well during your tenure as curator. Oh, yeah. So, um, very, very, very cool. And it's, and it's a significant thing to give somebody a sense of pride. So I appreciate what you did yeah. with, with the collection and, and, and what you continue oh. to do. Well, thank you very much. It means a lot. Yeah. Me. Cool. Very cool, Jack. Well, I wish right. you, I wish you the best in your backyard. Enjoy yourself and uh, have fun with that taxes. Yeah. But I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. It was really, uh, it was really oh, nice yeah. to sit down. Totally my pleasure. Good to see you. 